Welcome to Episodes, the podcast where we talk all about teaching and learning in the digital age. My name is Jimmy Bones. I'm the head of English here at EP. And today we are doing the second series of Loving Literature with Irini and myself. So I'm joined by the lovely Irini again, Irini Christopoulos, our head of English for Australia. How's it going? How are you? Are you ready to talk about your teenage literature? Hello, hello. I am. I'm so ready. The teenage years are some of the most interesting when it comes to reading because that increased independence means that you can pursue your curiosity. It either sort of feed your desire when it comes to texts that you know and are comfortable with, but mm. inevitably you will be pushed out of that comfort zone in the text that your teachers will make you read in class. And for me, that's really interesting, particularly, you know, with that English teaching side, like the difference between having students that are introduced to a text because they have to be and they absolutely love it or forcing kids to read yeah. texts they don't like yeah. at all. <laughs> Shakespeare's is the text that comes to mind. All the teachers mind. listening now are nodding, nodding their heads. Their heads yeah. like, yes, I can't believe that the kids hate Shakespeare. It's the best. But um, yeah, I, I can't wait to get into this. So, yeah, so hear I mean, more of your dark texts. Oh, well, yeah. So for those listeners, uh, this is part two in a series. In the mm. first show we recorded in this series about loving literature, we covered texts that had a big impact on us as young children. And I discovered that I, I was influenced by the Gothic literature of the time. And it's all making sense now when I look at the other texts I'm going to talk about. Yeah. As a teenager, there's so much going on in your life as mm, yeah. uh, that, that I think texts and music as well. And Definitely. maybe that's another series Definitely. we could do. Yes. But, um, the albums that changed us. Yeah, they've become part of your DNA, you know. Um, so yeah, I can't wait to hear what you've got for us. So uh, do you want to go first? Do you want me to go first? Let me introduce the topic because I would love you to um, yeah. share your choice. Our first topic of two is just teenage reading. What text did you come across at any point in your teenage years, whether it be poetry or a novel or a short story that really affected you? Uh, so I've got two. Uh, we both got two. The first one is a text that I was reading independently. I can't remember how I stumbled across this mm. because it definitely was far too mature. Okay. <laughs> for, okay. For my young teenage mind. Not from your teachers. <laughs> no, it was definitely not a, a text that was taught. And it was by an author called uh, Poppy Z. Bright. Awesome. Poppy Z. Bright has gone through a sort of a shift in, in her writing, but um, at the time she was a gothic uh, author of vampire oh, stories. Oh, brilliant. Okay. Now, one of her books is called The Lost Souls. And I have to say, looking back at it now, I'm a little bit shocked that I was reading that at mm -hmm. that age. It's very graphic yeah, and it's very dark. Wow. But the character in the story, uh, I just related to so much because it was about a young, lonely male character yeah. discovering strange new influential friends that were older who were trying to take him on a very dark path. And he was realizing a lot about himself and, right. and the character's name was nothing. And I just thought that was amazing. I yeah. just thought it was so philosophical wow. that a character's name was nothing. And in the book, um, you know, he says, my name is nothing. And it's just, brilliant. it just, I don't know why, but that impacted me quite a lot. And the journey that he goes on is, is just so dark and mysterious, but also he, he learns a lot about himself. And this is a theme, I think, in my, my choices. It is. There's a small quote I will read from this. Sure. It just kind of sums up the type of book it was. And the quote is by the character, nothing. 
The night is the hardest time to be alive and 4am knows all my secrets. Oh, so good. I love metaphors. That line stuck with me still still to this day. If I ever wake up at 4am, I think about that, how there's something I need to think about or the world is trying to tap into me or 4am knows all your secrets. I love that concept. Yeah. That really got to me. And uh, I, I think at that time, as a, as a, a teenager, I was also trying to write as well myself. Yeah. So I was influenced by, and in one sense, it's very self-obsessed. You know, mm. it's you're, you're trying to figure yourself out. You're yeah. self-absorbed yeah. as a teenager. And yeah. so this worked really well for me because it was all about the inner workings of your mind and figuring yourself out. I love that. However, I have, I've read reviews now and I've read that it's not a good idea to reread those books as an adult. Oh, interesting. Because they're so over the top dark right. and graphic that uh, maybe it secretly was intended for teenagers or, or, or people who are struggling with their identity or whatever. Sure. Or Not that I, I was, I, well, maybe I was, I don't know. So that, that was mine. Yeah, that's my, that's one of my texts. What about you? Before I tell you mine, because um, this is a beautiful tangent to our next Current reading is our next podcast episode, but I I took a an English unit where we were looking at movies and novels and the representation of novels in film, and there was a film compilation put together by an artist that featured film footage of clocks from movies at every single minute of the entire day. Oh, wow. And apparently the hardest times of the day that they could not find in any film whatsoever were the hours between 2 and 5 o'clock a.m. Yeah. Um, that films just don't generally portray those hours of the morning. Interesting. Or they might, but they don't. There's no footage of a clock that will present that time. Wow. Which is is so fascinating because that metaphor just works so perfectly. Yeah, it is yeah. almost an invisible non-existent time. It's this weird limbo where yeah. humans are not supposed to exist. Yeah. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So that just reminded me of that. I thought it was fascinating. So yes, our next cool. episode will be equally as oh, fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> so my choice so from my teenage years. It was the first teenager-ini. time. Yeah, teen dark emotional teenager I was introduced to the dystopian genre. Love it. Late in my teenage years. So Previous to, I would say, like year 10, year 11, I was certainly drawn to literature that would concentrate on the melodramatic, like relationships, characters who were experiencing some sort of turmoil. But when I was introduced to dystopian fiction, I was fascinated and I couldn't get enough. So I remember the very first text that we were exposed to in year 11 was The Pedestrian by Ray Bradbury. And it was this. It was so poignant for me that there was a character who was so isolated but also so content at the same time. And just these these nods to this kind of futuristic world that I started to parallel with my my current world and the deep unsettling fear that that, that created started, I think, to stir up as well, like a, a real strong notion of of social justice yeah. and like political opinion that, you know, how could, you know, this kind of authority in this future world have such power and why didn't the ordinary man have such power? And, and I think that that might be where I started to 
build my own sense of, you know, of, of just my own political awareness and yeah, my own wow. sense of social justice. So that was exacerbated when we um, had to read Fahrenheit 451 and uh, being a, a desperate lover of books. Yeah, it was just really hard to read the scenes of their destruction yeah. and never quite realized that my emotions about humans were actually magnified when it came to this inanimate object that was a book because it wasn't about what it was, but it was about what it represented. And that's, I think, when I started to understand the power of symbolism mm. and metaphor. And so I've got two quotes, Fahrenheit, that are just, I think, absolutely amazing. I'm just going to read them. They're from the same part of the book, but they're they're different pages. Yep. Um, so the first one is, uh, they're both talking about the earphones, which for me at the time, like if we contextualize that that era, it was the time where the iPod had just come out. Right. Previous to that, like I I was an avid CD collector. And with if you remember, Apple ran a ad campaign, which was similar to the a Big Brother type yes. uh, vibe. Yep. Do you remember that? I do. Yep. And I mean, if we think about headphones before the iPod, they were very much like the headphones that sit atop your head, yeah. not the little kind of bug ear pieces yeah. that we know now. And it's just a text that keeps giving, right? Because AirPods wow. are so much closer to, to that. And yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, that fascination is, is a bit too much for me sometimes, but I'll read you these quotes. <laughs> so the first one, talking about these little earphones, the little mosquito, delicate dancing hum in the air, the electrical murmur of a hidden wasp in its special pink warm nest. Yeah. Ooh. And then uh, further to that, Mildred watched the toast delivered to her plate. She had both ears plugged with electronic bees that were humming the hour away. Fantastic. Oh, I can't. I can't get enough of um, the dystopian genre now, which you'll see continues into my right, choices yeah. of text as an adult. But that was that was really life-changing for me as a teenager. Wow. Well, the other text for me as a teenager is one that I did have to study in school. So I think this is the text that when I started to think, right, I want to be an English teacher. Yeah. Just the way it was presented to me. And I was obsessed with the language of it. And I mm. couldn't get over how writing could be like this. And so it was my introduction to T.S. Eliot. Ugh. When when you're when I was in school in Ireland, you know, there's such a, a reverence for literature and Irish literature. So you get saturated by am amazing Irish poetry. Mm. And I certainly want to talk a lot about that in another episode. But I have to be honest and say when I read this poem, which was the first poem I read by T.S. Eliot, and it, the, the poem is The Love Song of J. Alfred Prufrock. Classic. I just felt this is the type of writing, if I could write like this. And um I guess, again, it, it has a gothic element to it. There's, there's a loneliness to it and there's mm. a sort of isolation. And I think it reinforced, again, for me, how I connect with writing and literature that create that poignant sort of isolated feeling, you know, that you are... It's very gothic. Yeah, I know. I know. I don't know why, because I wasn't a <laughs> depressed kid or anything. I was a very happy and I was a very sporty kid. Like, But I guess there was just this vibe about uh, growing up in the 80s and 90s in Ireland 
you know, it was a bit of a tumultuous time in our yeah. in our society and our in our history, especially the eighties with violence in the north. And it was, but every where I grew up in the west of Ireland, there's such uh, importance placed on art mm. and drama and creativity that it's hard not to get caught up in that and and to yeah. to develop the tendencies. Mm. Um, and and I guess I started to realize that I I definitely was a a creative person, you know? Yeah. So th- really connecting with texts like this was me. And, and when I, when we get to the adults, uh, yeah. that will make a lot more sense. It was just realizing that there was um, a love there for literature that yeah. helped me understand myself. Yeah. <laughs> so I'll read the first, just the first verse of this, of this love poem. Love this piece. Um, so there is an introduction if, if for those of you who haven't read it recently or, or haven't read it at all, but I'm just going to go to the, the stanza in English, the first stanza. Let us go then, you and I, when the evening is spread out against the sky, like a patient etherized upon a table. Let us go through certain half-deserted streets, the muttering retreats of restless nights in one-night cheap hotels and sawdust restaurants with oyster shells. Streets that follow like a tedious argument of insidious intent to lead you to an overwhelming question. Oh, do not ask, what is it? Let us go and make our visit. It's just, it's just so beautiful, isn't it? He, uh, yeah, what a powerful way to present a scene. Yeah. And just capture that, that mindset mm. of... Um, My favourite quote uh, is the coffee spoons. Yes. I just... As an adult, I first discovered coffee during my senior year of high school <laughs> when I was craving for exams. It made so much sense after that point. And now if I, I, I feel like I still measure my life in the amount of coffees I need to have. It's a I think it's a very English teacher thing, like yeah. how many coffees have I had? How many do I need to get through this marking, get through, <laughs> the, get through reading these creative writing stories from my students? So it just it's a poem that keeps giving, isn't it? You could never get tired of reading. No. That. Um, all right. What about you? This Your second one. Um, my ladies of high school, uh, I was introduced to Sylvia Plath uh, and her poetry. And for me, reading Plath's poetry before I learned about her context, uh, it was poetry that was really jarring to me because I had an expectation that poetry was quite flowery and beautiful and full of, you know, romantic imagery. And then to learn about Plath's life and to hear the, the consonants in her work, it was strangely like um, empowering and liberating to to an extent because yeah. I had discovered that it was possible for a woman in the same way that you know Max, Max Remy Superspy from episode one. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's a know, connection. Well. <laughs> there is a connection uh, that that a woman could could produce a piece of work that was ugly and gritty. raw and and gritty that did not need to be liked. That it was a piece of work that could hold its own. And and that was about the time I really started to appreciate two things in unison. One, the the power of, of poetry as an oral form, like the yeah. the the difference between vowel sounds and consonant the sounds. Delivery. The delivery. Um, and the experience of hearing 
how those sounds impact emotion. And then the other side of it was textural integrity and and really appreciating, yeah, the truth and the honesty of a piece of work. I think those two things were probably quite and, and look, they're 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 definitely, you know, elements of of textual understanding that we are, are quite higher order. And and I think you've you've really got to have a, an affinity for language to 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 have like to obtain those skills. Yeah. Um, the first poem I had ever read was Daddy, as as a lot of students will have read. So I'd just like to give you a little bit of this incredible poem. Okay, so we're gonna we're gonna close out the show with this with this excerpt from Sylvia Plath, read by Irini <laughs> Kasopoulos. And please um, join us for the next episode too. We're gonna venture into our adult uh, years where we discovered texts. Um, but yeah, to, to finish this out, let's hear it. Sylvia Plath study. Not God, but a swastika. So black, no sky could squeak through. Every woman adores a fascist. The boot in the face, the brute, brute heart of a brute like you. You stand at the blackboard, daddy, in the picture I have of you, a cleft in your chin instead of your foot but no less a devil for that, no not any less the black man who bit my pretty red heart in two. I was ten when they buried you. At twenty I tried to die and get back, back, back to you. I thought even the bones would do.